the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. Thanking you for being a part of the program tonight here on The Bible Live. Jacob is with me. We are talking about all things Genesis, all things beginning, everything getting started. We're just starting our 17th time through the scriptures. Wow, that's a lot. It is, it is. And I'm getting, I'm almost getting to where I feel like I I know the book a little bit now. It's it's one of those books, folks were telling me even this morning, Jacob, about it, Lackland, we were talking to, I actually taught one of the classes that has parents. We have the parents and, and uh, friends, uncles, aunts, grandpa and grandma and sweethearts and husbands and wives and all that. They come to, uh, out. they make the trip all the way from Washington State, from New Jersey, from Florida, from South Carolina, all over the country. Uh, families make the journey to come in and uh, congratulate their young uh, their sons and their daughters, others that are that are graduating from basic training in, into the Air Force. And so I got to teach the class just this week, uh, uh, the group that graduated from Lackland and now are new, brand new United States Air Force Airmen. Uh, that uh, I, I got to teach the class where all the parents and the visitors went, and uh, we were talking about that. And one of the uh, w- one of the uh, parents mentioned in the Bible study class. That well, you know, I, I was saying, why is the Bible so important to us? This uh, this old book, you know, sixty six books written over a period of fifteen hundred years and forty authors and so on, and um, of course they give great answers and they give great insights. A lot of them have been walking with the Lord on a lot of years, 
And uh, one uh, of the folks raised their hand, a lady, I think it was, from South Carolina. I said, why is the Bible so important to us? And uh, she was pointing out the fact that it, it explains, she said, it just it just explains our life better than anything. It, it it really does explain, you know, my life and everything I went through in life and all the difficulties and all the challenges. Uh, there's nothing new, and it's all, you know, the, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Solomon, I guess, said that uh, in Ecclesiastes, and uh, I, I agreed with that. This is this old book really tells the story in a way that's that's clear, that makes sense. Uh, it explains our experience uh, as human beings, as no other source, as no other particular worldview that I know of does. So uh, we are uh, we are right there in the book of the Genesis. Everything is beginning, and it's important. We talked about this a little bit last week, Jacob. That that you know, with, with mankind's beginning, we we talked about the uh, mostly, I guess, dedicated to the program last week to talk about creation versus evolution. The whole idea of of uh, and that is, of course, the basis of uh, uh, the Bible here as we begin the story of man as it presents to us. Uh, it started out with God creating the heavens and the earth and the the light. Very and the good. And all of these. You got the verb in there. <laughs> yeah, the verb creating. Yeah. Actually, I know everybody translates it's created, uh-huh. but it's actually creating. What is it now? In beginning, creating? Or? It actually reads, you want it literal? Literal. Uh-huh. Okay. Because yeah, you got to touch it up in English. So, and pardon me, I'm a little hoarse. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, that's uh, <clears throat> in beginning creating God, heavens, and earth. And you see, if we phrase it like that, word for word, people say, wait a minute, he's creating God? So they always say, in the beginning, God create, created heavens and earth. Okay. Now, isn't right. that interesting? It is very interesting. And it's one of those things about, I think we have to understand that a lot of the, the original, particularly the Hebrew scriptures, a lot of the Hebrew scriptures are like that, right? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the Hebrew language is not that exact with no, all the a, articles and all the adjectives. And the, it's a very, very small language, and so context is everything. Like, for example, if I say, happy I am, that's Hebrew. Your yoga. Yoda. Yoda, yeah. And yoga. Yoda is actually a Hebrew word that means knowing. Okay. Like, if you know something, you're knowing. I'm knowing. It's Yoda. I'm the knowing. Happy I am. You would almost think that the uh, Spielberg or Lucas might be Jewish. You know, you you would think that. But you think. You know. yeah. In fact, the word Yoda is what's used in the uh, the booklet uh, that uh, every Jew does at Passover. Is that right? Yeah. Who knows too? I know too. That kind of thing. Oh, and it's always the word Yoda. Well, happy I am. Know that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to know that. If I well, anyway, blessed you are. <laughs> there you go. So there you go. We are. We got into the book of Genesis, essentially talking about uh, the whole idea of, of re- evolution and opposed to creation. And and my particular bent, my particular take last week was, if you uh, folks before you, and particularly to the to the new generation, the the millennials and so on, you want to think about it before you jump off into this atheist agnostic sort of a trend that seems to be going on. Uh, are you really sure you want to live in a world where that is the governing worldview? Uh, you better think about it because if that if that is the truth, if that is reality, that there is no creator, there is no purpose, there is no transcendent 
uh, reality that that uh, that we are a part of in this world, then you better be ready for incredible chaos and cruelty and wickedness beyond your imagination, because that's what it sets that's what it sets loose, and there is no real basis to oppose it. There's no real basis for saying. Uh, that that is not right. You can say all you want that my opinion is. I don't believe that. Well, that's fine, but that's just your opinion, and your opinion doesn't matter any more than anyone else's. Well, no right, you know, no wrong, no beauty. You no, know what? Mm-hmm. I'd like let's discuss that for a yeah, second. Yeah, okay. okay. We can go back Actually, to Actually, um, some people's opinions are more valuable. For example, I have an opinion about... If they agree with yours, right? That well, I, uh, to quote Mark Twain, I found the most smartest people always agree with me. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, but seriously, I have an opinion about flying a plane, but the uh, pilot's opinion is a little bit better. But if I give you two pieces of cherry pie, it's not just an opinion. You can tell me which one's better. So there is something. All right. Yeah. I, I, I get that. There is. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There is. It doesn't remove subjectivity, but it removes uh, objectivity. It removes objective reality and truth. If there is no. If there is no authority, if there's no reality that that by which we are judged, we are left each one. What is it? The uh, book of the Bible, the 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 uh, the judges, the theme of the book of the judges, and you see it, the problems of Israel going around, around, just spiraling downward continually. Is that every man does what is right in his own eyes? Uh-huh. Remember that that theme. Oh, I, I I know you do remember that. Uh, of, and that's where we're stuck. It, it just everybody does what's right in their own eyes. There's no authority. There's no uh, there's no plumb line. There's no way of knowing what true vertical is. So we just all take our best guess, and no one's guess is better than anybody else's guess uh, in the objective sense. Um, you may like one person's opinion better, uh, but it, it is pure chaos. Well, we talked about that last week. Let's not get back on it again. But this week we're we're looking at some of the particulars. We come down. We've gotten now, starting with chapter twelve, we move from. The, the treatment, uh, the, the Bible spends 11 chapters talking about the creation of man, the fall of man, which is another great theme. It's one of those fundamental uh, basic ideas of the Scripture that is uh, contradicted continually. Uh, it, it's one of the basic differences that we have as Bible-believing, you know, God-centered uh, people the, with the uh, God-centered worldview, uh, a Bible-centered worldview. It's one of those fundamental differences that we constantly run into uh, in the world is that the, the, this sin is reality. There is wickedness. There is evil. It's real. And that, that uh, humanity, is, to some degree, has, is given over to it. We are inherently, irrevocably, irresistibly, we have this tendency to selfishness and sin, what the Bible calls wickedness or evil or sin. And so that's, uh, I think that's the story uh, we see coming out of the, the first uh, 11 chapters of the Bible is a clear demonstration that not only Adam and Eve, I, the first uh, parents, fell into sin and the whole race came under the condemnation of sin. All of it, it, We were all in Adam and Eve. We were part of the genetic material in their bodies that, that uh, gave rise to every human being on planet Earth today. So we all came under the penalty the consequences of sin and selfishness, and and we see several uh, we see several examples of that, whether it's in uh, Cain killing Abel, or whether it's in the flood of Noah in chapter seven, or whether it goes all the way to the Tower of Babel in chapter eleven, ten, and eleven. We we see this 
No, it's it's the other way around. Power, Tower of Babel in chapter seven, the, the Noah, and the flood in chapter eleven, right? And it's whether it's in any of those, we see this continual presentation of the fact that there there is uh, sin as it work is at work in the human race, and, and wickedness and selfishness is a part of our experience, but that mankind has the option because of God's redemptive plan we have the op- we are presented with the option to choose God uh, and to choose good uh, that's that's essentially i guess in a nutshell uh the way at least that Jacob the way i've kind of gotten the idea from the time childhood and up uh, and now in chapter 12 the bible the new Te- the genesis moves from a consideration of the whole race of humanity it moves down now and ready to talk about uh, it begins to it picks up with an individual, uh, Abraham, and starts telling his story. The the uh, he and his wife Sarah, Sarai is 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 an initially her name, and how their experience of following God, God calls them to leave the land from where they are and go into a land which He would show them. Is that a picture of salvation or not? As a matter of fact, you're familiar in the Bible where in Exodus God shows Moses pictures. Okay. You know that? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, so sometimes Moses says, now, what exactly is it that you wanted me to do? And God said, look, let me show you a picture. So like four times in Exodus, he shows him a picture. And then in the New Testament, like in the book of Hebrews, I think it's chapter 8, mm-hmm. it says, well, the earthly tabernacle is a shadow uh, and the ark is a shadow of what's in heaven. Uh-huh. So the uh, the physical does become, in a sense, the spiritual. Okay. So Israel is supposed to be a shadow or a, an example, a physical example of heaven. So when you say, is it heaven? Yeah, it symbolically represents okay. heaven. So, so it, when it, he says, I'll show you, uh, I'm going to take you out of this land, you're going to leave uh-huh, it, uh-huh, and I'm uh-huh. going to take you to a land that uh-huh. you do not know. That that picture there is a picture of of almost, is almost I had never thought of this before, but actually, it, and that's the truth, actually. I've never seen Abraham as being called out of a land into a land that God would show him as such a picture of redemption as mm-hmm. uh, we, we're accustomed to seeing Moses as a picture of that. Yep. He takes people out of bondage and sin in Egypt and uh-huh. take them out and make them a free people and a new people <coughs> and so on. We always see that as a picture of redemption, but I hadn't thought of leaving Abraham being called to leave the known in other words, leave, leave the old nature, leave the old experience, and well, I'm going to I'm going to start something new with you as you come out of that. I uh, that 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 seems like it fits just as well as Moses in a sense, and, right. you know. Well, it, it does. And it, 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 the Jewish and tradition the sees it that al- way. The picture is always there, and uh, that's why if there is no land of Israel, if it's a shadow, like it says in Hebrew or mm-hmm. uh, in the Book of Hebrews then technically the frightening thing would mean there is no heaven because there's no shadow. <laughs> okay. No shadow, no reality. That's, right. That's cool. You see how that works? I see exactly how it works. It's very interesting. I have to ponder that. So when bit. God said he makes a promise that uh, Israel will go forever, uh-huh. it's not about Israel being superior or lucky or blessed and the kind of stuff. Of course, they are. Everybody it, It's is. because it's a picture there, of... Yeah, yeah, without that. So you're getting a physical illustration of getting to there, and it's supposed to only have God's laws there. Which sort of like is getting to heaven where God rules. Where God's laws uh, are uh, binding and where God's laws are the, the rules that are enforced. Well, uh, that, that's amazing. And, of course, God's laws are here as well. But we're talking about uh, heaven 
There's only God's laws. And we spent some time talking about that this morning as well. The, the basic trainees, uh, when they go through uh, basic training into the Air Force, they, are, uh, they go into a very protective, very unique setting in which they're, they're genuinely cut off from every other, from all civilian contact, from civilian life in general. And that, that means they're deprived of a lot of things there during that nine weeks of basic training. And uh, one of those is, is music. They don't hear a whole lot of music except reveille in the morning and taps <laughs> in the night. And uh, they, they don't have uh, all of their favorite songs in their playlists and all that sort of thing. Uh, and, and we were talking, we were listening to some music. That's one reason they liked it, coming uh, to chapel and to, to religious education classes on Sundays. They get to hear some music and all. And one of the songs was that wonderful song came out, oh, oh, I guess a few years ago now. Uh, I can only imagine. It was talking about heaven, and I can only imagine what it'll be like to be in God's presence and in, in, a, in a sphere and an, an atmosphere where, where sin doesn't exist and there's no tendency to selfishness and sin and God together with his people. Uh, and uh, we, we talked a little bit about what that would be like the, the, when it's no longer just a, a picture, no longer just a, a, a symbol of that reality, but when we walk and live in that actual reality. Uh, it was a really, really good experience uh, in the class this morning. Well, uh, that's where we are. So we're picking okay. up at chapter 12 with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we start walking through God's carrying out, essentially his carrying out his redemptive plan in history, in time and space, um, carrying out this plan to redeem mankind, which which is already accomplished uh, in the in the spiritual realm, uh, we understand that Messiah is the Lamb killed before and slain from before the foundation of the world. The redemptive plan is in place. Uh, man is to come back and to be restored to that relationship with God through faith uh, in God's uh, mercy and God's goodness. Uh, but we see it, the the particulars, the specifics worked out now as we begin with Abraham, then Isaac, and Jacob, and the promise, uh, as Jacob has said, uh, the people of Israel and the uh, and the Messiah, the Redeemer that would come through them, which we saw a picture of in early Genesis as well. Well, before we get started, do you want to go ahead and take a yeah? A we got call? a we got a couple of people. Let's talk. Let's talk to Joe. Okay, Joe is on the line already, and we might as well go. Uh, let me see if I hit the right button. Joe, are you on the line with me? I hope I hit the right button. Good evening. He's Hi, not there, Soapy. Okay, let me try another one. Oh, he's gone. It says seized. What is? Oh, what I happened? Know. Is he gone, John? Is something uh You disconnected him, Soapy. Well, I didn't mean to. Joe, give me a call back. I uh hit the button. Let's see here. Joe's gonna give me a call back and we're gonna be is, is he gonna he call does. back, John? I hope. Uh John is singing the Seven Dwarf song. I hope. I hope. Well it says seized, uh so I'll do that. All right, John, uh, let's hope he call, Joe calls us back. Joe, uh, please call back. We uh-huh. meant to connect you, but we one of us disconnected the, uh, you. Yeah, it was Jacob's fault. He made me do it. It was Jacob's fault because he, Soapy said he knew what he was doing, and I believed him. <laughs> you, know, you know, there is a, that brings up, <laughs> that brings up another topic we talked about last week in the book of Genesis. Remember the devil made me do it? Yeah. How with that tendency to blame someone else? I was, you know, oh, it was that woman you gave me. Eve did it. You know, it was her fault, and and she said, oh, it's the serpent's fault. And so, uh, we we do play the blame game quite a bit, and that's that's part of the, that's part of this whole thing. You know, if Genesis. Joe would leave his number, we could call him. 
Yeah, that might be a different system. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we call our listeners. That's yeah. a, hey, we're here. We're on yeah. the air again. Yeah, yeah, uh, I didn't mean to get you out of the tub, but we have a question. Okay, for you. yeah. <laughs> hey, do we want to ask some questions and let people? Well, I, I tell you what. We didn't do that last week. No, we didn't ask no, any questions. Things worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, the only questions I really want to get to, okay, because yeah, it's be some discussion. Uh -huh. Is uh, you're 23 and 24. Ah, uh, so I, because that's a discussion in itself. And oh yeah, yeah. You you uh, uh -huh. now. I don't know how this is. Almost everything you say almost always makes sense to me, and uh, I find myself. Myself agreeing with, but, but this you is got one the of those. Twenty bucks you owe me now. Does <laughs> yeah. that make sense? <laughs> Dollars and cents. It, the question is, how did Jacob spend the night before he met his brother Esau again? Now you have to know a little bit, a little bit of the story. Remember, uh, uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah. They they do receive this son named Isaac, uh, the son of promise that through he would become through. In fact, you know, Sarah gave birth when she was quite old. And uh, so Isaac then has, with Rebecca, has two children, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau get crosswise with each other. Esau is actually the older brother, but Jacob uh, is the one that values the things of God. And uh, we, can, we can talk about some of the particulars of this uh, through the evening. But uh, at one point, Jacob leaves and goes and lives with his uncle, right, Laban? Or not his uncle, but his... He doesn't just leave. He runs for his life. He, yeah, Esau is threatening his life because in... in they say... Who says? Ja who says? They, the eternal, who? Who? The eternal they. Uh, all those bad guys, those people uh, that are wrong. They say that uh, uh, Jacob stole uh, the birthright, uh, that he tricked, he deceived uh, Esau... Ah. And and got the birth and the birthright. We might as well put out what that is. It's important because it means that uh, who the son that owns the birthright it becomes like the elder son. He becomes the the receptacle. He becomes the benefactor of the 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 leadership of the of the family. Right. He becomes the when when the uh, father moves on and goes on into the happy hunting ground, as we call it, uh, the the. The uh, uh, one with the birthright becomes the leader of the family, and uh, if I remember correctly, they receive a double inherit double double portion double portion. Now, of the does inheritance. that mean uh, if w if one guy gets twenty, the other guy gets forty? Is that what that means? You'll tell me, right? Uh, well, I'm gonna suggest tell me. That. Okay, what the double portion means that uh, let's say that there are four brothers, uh -huh. okay, and each one gets supposedly twenty five percent, right? But one so guy, he gets another 25% on top no, of it. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> it, the math doesn't work the, out that way. Right? right. Because what happens is, is the guy that gets the so-called double portion, he has to spend half of his time taking care of the tribes or the management of the business, whatever. So he gets a double portion, but it comes out equal, say, 25% to everybody else's. But he doesn't have as much time because he can't support his family and do all the rest of us. So what he does is he spends at least half his time, let's say, taking care of all the tribe's business. And so, but he still draws his equal share, but he's only working 50% growing his own, so he gets a double portion, you see. Does that make some sense to you? Not really. No, really? Not, so what do they do? They kind of, let's say they're four brothers. Okay. 
then they, they take the inheritance and divide it into five, and everybody gets an equal share, and then he gets one other fifth? No, no. No. He gets, if each, Does he get more than the others? No. Everybody gets exactly the same amount. It's just the guy that's taking care of the tribe's business and uh, making judgments and all that kind of stuff. He can't spend all of his time working because he's taking care of tribes. I got it. So he gets exactly the same amount as everybody else. He just can't work as much to earn it, so he's getting a double portion. So if he only works 12.5% of the time, he uh, still gets his 25 I see. <laughs> I don't know. Again, this is one of those things that that wouldn't be very appealing to me. So the real well, benefit uh, of being the uh, the having the birthright is you only have to work twice as uh, half as much. That's one way of putting it. Yeah, but you're still working and taking care of yeah. everybody else's oh, problems. Work at your own. Yeah. Ah, that doesn't seem like a whole bunch of benefit. Well, it seems like a preacher to me. Huh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a rabbi. Would that be a... Uh, no, the rabbi gets three times as much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that, well, I'll have to ponder that a little bit. But, the, again, that's one of those things that you... Uh, it, and I think the chief thing, though, the is that you you want to come to ride to the defense of Jacob. Uh, we must we must explain and defend Jacob. Okay. Jacob gets a bad rap and Jacob's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. And everybody's been so taught that Jacob is a bad guy, they don't want to hear the rest. But we know this for sure that at the beginning God tells Jacob and Esau's mama uh-huh. That uh, this is the way it's going to work out. So it's not he's not doing something. This was part of God's plan. That is true, and we easily forget that when we get into the story of uh, Jacob and Esau. How that um, Jacob seems to value the things of God and the, the, the covenant relationship, God of Abraham, Isaac, his father, and, and Jacob seems to value that. Uh, as there you were. Whereas Esau does not. And, well, uh, and who so is Esau married to? Esau is married to the Hittite women. Yes. Okay. So he's not, and and he's doing their religion and everything else. Uh-huh. So the only one that really cared is Jacob. Right. And uh, do you want to talk about? It? Do you want to wait till we well, come back? I, I I think we better take our break. We've got okay. a, little, a little time, but we'll. That's the theme we'll follow. We'll talk a little bit about. I this. really want to get to this ra- angel wrestling business. Okay. Uh, the wrestling with the angel, or, or wrestling with God the night before. Oh, that's an angel. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. That's where we'll start out with Jacob and Esau that telling their story and talking a little bit about come, Jacob coming to Jacob's defense. Uh, how about that? 340-9585. If you'd like to be a part of the program, we will be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. 
Selena Gomez's latest hit, Wolves, is a beat-filled collaboration with electronic dance music DJ Marshmello. And it tells the story of a woman who's haunted by the memory of a feeling that she's been looking for ever since the romantic night she first felt it. culture often minimizes casual physical relationships, saying that they aren't anything that we need to get too worried about. Gomez, however, suggests, albeit perhaps unintentionally, that intimate bonding can be deeply soul-shaping. There's nothing overly graphic in the lyrical description here, but the context is still clear. So I'm giving Wolves a 2 out of 5 for family friendliness. For the full review, be sure to visit us at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Have you seen a family divided over property after losing a loved one? Have you known someone who spent months or years fighting in court to receive the property that was left to them? Unfortunately, I often see families fighting in probate court. Wouldn't you like to avoid this situation? I'm Charlie Weisinger, board-certified estate planning attorney with Weisinger Law Firm. At Weisinger Law Firm, we can help you put a plan in place that avoids probate so your loved ones never have to set foot in a cold courtroom. Many times that plan includes a living trust. Let my team help you achieve peace through planning to ensure your family won't be stuck fighting it out in court. Just call 210-308-0800 and we'll help you get a plan in place. We're located just north of San Antonio in Selma, Texas. So call me, Charlie Weisinger, at 210-308-0800. That's 210-308-0800 or weisingerlawfirm.com. Weisinger Law Firm. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back. A sudden end to our music there. Thanks for joining us, the Bible Live. We are discussing uh, the book of Genesis. And uh, we don't get it. No, we don't even get it over into Exodus, uh, even this week. I think Genesis, what, 50 chapters? Oh, yes, still not. Sure the, the, the book of the, the beginning. We're only getting to chapter 37 tonight, so. Okay, the... the um, the word Genesis means beginnings, and that's what it is. It's an interesting book in that almost everything you read about is the beginning. It's the start of something. And, and that, that may sound obvious to you, but uh, I, I don't mean it's just the beginning the first time, but these beginning events are important because they, they set the standard, they set the pace, uh, they create the setting in which we live today, and that uh, and they set the they create the the setting for the redemptive plan of God. And w- by the way, just before we get back uh, to your question uh, about Jacob, uh, we we said that we were talking about the double portion, 
the how uh, Jacob, when he purchased the birthright or the titular, he becomes the titular head of the family. Uh, when the uh, elder uh, father passes away, then he becomes the titular head of the family. And we talked about the double portion of the inheritance. And, and we it almost came to where that didn't mean a whole lot to Esau, but it did to Jacob. And when you de- when you described Jacob what what it meant to be titular head, it doesn't mean you actually get a double portion of inheritance. No, no, you're it, getting the same equal amount. But but you only have to work half as hard to get it. Well, it, you, in a say, way, let's say you got a garden. Everybody's run taking care of their own gardens. You only got to work, grow half the food, but everybody else tosses and half, so everybody gets an equal share. Okay, okay. That kind of makes a little more sense to me. You well, are getting does, a because, little extra. You know, yeah. I mean, somebody's got to take care of all the administrative yeah, stuff. The, the family affairs, right, and so on. But I, what I was going to say, though, is that even in this particular case of uh, Jacob and Esau, that titular, being the titular head of the family, is even more important because uh, the covenant, the promise with, with Abraham was that God was going to use them as part of his redemptive plan. And through their lineage, through their their descendants, God would bring the Redeemer, the, the Messiah, the Savior. The, he would carry out that redemptive plan. And and that, too, was part of this uh, this uh, inheritance, if you want to put it that way. He, In other words, it would not be... Uh, Esau's children, it would not be through his children, his descendants, the Messiah would come. It would be through the lineage of uh, of Jacob. So that's another, I guess, an advantage specific in particular to these two people, Jacob and Esau. That was an advantage that really uh, that that would have that would have been important. And I did Jacob understand that? Do you think? I mean, did he, did he understand that through his lineage then? The covenant relationship with the people of Israel would would go okay, through his lineage? I, I can't answer that because it doesn't say that. I, I suspect so because, remember, uh, Jacob is making some stew or, or, or uh, lentils. Lentils, right? yes. Uh, the, the traditional meal of mourning. A, uh, mourning, that's right. Not in the morning, but of, after somebody uh, Grieving, uh, the death. Yeah, yeah, so right, so yeah. Esau comes back. He's been out hunting. He comes to uh, Jacob, and Jacob's making the meal of mourning for his father and mother. Because who just died? Abraham? Abraham was right. Bing, bing, bing. I got it right. So Abraham just died. Now, Abraham is very important. So here is um, is, uh, Jacob taking care of his mom and dad, making this traditional meal of mourning. Esau comes back. He couldn't care less. He says, hey, I give him my birthright for a dish of stew, you know. And so he couldn't care less. And so he didn't get gypped on anything. He wanted to make the trade because it wasn't important to him. He's got two or three wives. They're all Hittites. And he's actually going along with their religion. Also, when it says Esau was a man of the field, that's a very important coded Jewish phrase. Do you know what it means? Uh, man of the field. Uh, he uh-huh. was an expert, outstanding in his field. Uh, very, very good choice. I was thinking of the other one. Okay. Maybe I could offer the other one since you the offered The other that definition, one. okay. Uh, what it means is he's a man hunter. He doesn't just kill 
animals. He kills people. Really? Yes. So he's a pretty vicious, vile guy. He's very much closer to an animal. That's why they said he's all covered in hair. Okay? So he doesn't care. And he's married to this Hittite woman. He doesn't care about being the head of the family, taking care of God's plans. So, But Jacob does. And he's demonstrating because he's taking care of a meal for his mother and father who just lost Abraham. Uh-huh. So this is the so the stuff about him being a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. Thank God for Jacob. Amen. I would say that. Uh, and both that one and this one. No, no. I I agree. I I I don't think any of us teach particularly. Uh, and of course, having grown up in a lot of, and hearing a lot of evangelical Christian preachers uh, throughout my lifetime, uh, I I don't think anyone actually teaches. That in that ultimate sense that uh, Jacob is an evil, wicked person, uh, I don't believe so. I think in the end, there is the recognition that he that he is a man who who ultimately comes to peace with God. But the process of him coming full coming to full reconciliation and full understanding of of God's love for him and of his place in God's redemptive plan. It seems there is a process. See, the emphasis that you're putting on it is very interesting to Go me. Go ahead. Because you're talking about the emphasis about his role, mm-hmm. about how it's important about him. That's not a leader. A leader is, it takes care of others, not what he gets out of it. And that's why Jacob was important. So, Well, then he, he ultimately does take care does. of the he tribe, does, and he leads them and. Of course, he gets them down and into I, Egypt. I would say this. I've heard several preachers, and one on TV that uh-huh. I kind of like. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's a good preacher. And he says, Jacob, he was a deceiver. He was uh, he defrauded. That means deceiver. Jacob does not mean deceiver. It's not even close to it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to hear the... Uh, Jacob comes, It's in Hebrew, it's Yaakov. And your heel is called Yaakov. Yaakov. Yaakov, it's his heel. Remember, he grabs the heel. That's right. And why? They're twins, he and Esau. Yes. And Esau yeah. is the elder. And yeah, as right. they're being uh-huh. b- born, sure. Jacob, the chi- this sure. tiny infant, grabs the heel of his elder brother being born before him. Uh-huh. So he's the heel grabber or whatever they call it. And, and I thought that that doesn't in some way signify the idea of a deceiver or no? No, no. absolutely no. not. Quite the contrary. Now. No, this is a great segue. Uh-huh. Uh, isn't that a radio word? I don't know. Anyway, I'm here. I, so I've here's heard what's that. happening. So when Jacob has to run for his life, uh-huh. when he's running, when you run, hope part of your foot goes down first. If you're running really hard and fast, your toe. Well, if you really you run on your toes, I get uh, maybe your heel. I bet was the right answer. I bet it? it was. <laughs> um, anyway, it's um, so. He runs on his heel, uh-huh. Yaakov, uh-huh. Yaakov, okay. until he turns around, returns, and faces Esau. Then he's no longer Yaakov. His name is now Israel. Mm-hmm. The reason his name's Israel is this. You've got it written here. The One of the questions was, what does the name Israel mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and you've got the standard answer that it's, uh, it means struggle with God. Eh. Well, that's what it says. You have wrestled well, with no, God in one. No, it doesn't. Read the rest of the verse. See, everybody cuts off the last part. Oh, okay, go for it. It says, uh, struggles or wrestles with the divine and wins. 
Well, I just said and one. Yeah, and, and wins. One. Okay, no. God's name is not one. Okay. I was six years old before I found out God's name is not one. It says the Lord is one. You know. And wins. Okay. Uh-huh. But he wins. So the better way of saying this is Israel means champion of God. Now, that's a new wrinkle, isn't it? Champion uh-huh. of God because he wins. Now, the question is, can a man beat God? Well, the answer would be no. But you're familiar with, uh, even in the Christian scriptures in the New Testament, it says things about he's wrestled with men and angels and all that kind of stuff. Well, where do you think they're getting that phrase from? They're getting it from the story we're about to go into. Now, let's take a look at uh, your verse okay, uh, go 23. For it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The number 23, the question? Is uh, that what you said? How did Jacob spend the night before he met his brother Esau again? Uh, because they... You know, Esau threatened his life uh, after that incident we uh-huh, talked about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so he fled up north to live with his uncle Laban, and he married two women, Rachel and um, uh, Le- Leah. Le- and uh, Rachel being the one he loved, but Leah was given kind of, he, he was deceived there, right? Uh, he, he was deceived, but I don't want to get too much in the story because that story is a lot more to it. Okay. That was a, actually, if you look closely at the words, that was a calculated plan. Between the two sisters. So, uh-huh. that, so there's a lot more to that. Okay. Leah and Rachel. And then, and then he comes back with these two wives. And finally he goes back to Canaan. Uh, but he, he's, he's wealthy now. He's got flocks. He has a big family. He has uh, camels uh-huh. and everything. Uh, and he's, he's, he's coming back. He's coming back to his home. But he's afraid of Esau. He's wondering how right. is Esau going to respond. Uh-huh. And so he's... He stops on the side of the river Let's before he goes. Let's just take a look at okay. it. You've uh-huh. got 32.24, don't you? I've got it right here. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, so he took his, two, and he, he divided. We got, so, hey, John, somebody's calling. <laughs> um, the, uh, so he's divided, but look at verse 25. He said, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Um, Wait, where are you reading? I'm looking at Jacob 20, uh, 32. You said 32, right? 22. 22 yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something fantastic. Are you ready? All right. When, and a man came and wrestled with him until the Jacob's hip was... Okay. Uh-huh. Wait, wait. Look at the first words. Until dawn. And it says, Jacob was left alone. Uh-huh. What does that mean? It means it's symbolic of the Jews. Oh, the Jews, okay. especially World War II in different times, were left alone. Nobody was there to help. Okay. Now, I'm going to, I, wait, we got Esther. Why don't we take Esther, and then we'll come back to this, because this is going to be very interesting. And plus the fact that Esther always has something interesting to add to our conversation. Let's go yeah. visit with Esther. Hi, Esther. Are you- Hi. I, thank you for all that. That's very nice. I'm turning that radio down. Uh, I'm trying, I wanted to share with you, I was trying to get hold of you before you changed the subject, uh, because the show is so good, you don't even stay long, but I was reading earlier about Jacob, and you had said, Sophie, that you heard a lot of preachers talking about Jacob, and that, you know, they don't say he's bad or anything like that, but uh, I've always heard that most, and read in the Bible, too, that Jacob is a man uh, who stayed in a tent, so you think about this weakling, you know, you kind of think he's weak, uh-huh. and 
what I read, uh, the Jewish commentary said that the heel grabber is in, indicative of the strength of Jacob. That what baby that he was created, you know, with the knowledge of God, of course, and for his, God's plan and purpose for redemption. And he was infused with his great amount of strength, enough strength so that he could grab his brother Esau, this man that's more animal than human, or is very powerful. Everybody thinks Esau is so powerful. And Jacob was able to grab hold of him. And this is, uh, shows the power, the spiritual power of this man, Jacob. And indeed, he is also, I've always thought, physically strong because remember, he took the rock off the top of the well so that the uh, sheep could be. Uh, given water when he got to Laban's in the early on. Mm-hmm. So I think physically he was strong and especially spiritually, God meant everything to him. And like Jacob was saying, uh, the ways of God meant nothing. The God of the Bible meant nothing to Esau uh, and everything to Jacob. So that was his strength on two counts for Jacob. So I vote for Jacob twice. <laughs> but that's all. You know, there is, I, I appreciate that. And I don't think that it is the purpose. All the preachers I've heard all my life. Yes, I understand that they talk a little bit about where Jacob came from. But essentially the idea is that he does Come, he does love God. He values the things of God, and he. There still seems to be a process that he's involved in, in which he, uh, maybe his faith and his potential uh, for God is is. Uh, there, it, there seems to be a, a growth process. There seems to be a, an ex, a moving forward. Yeah. So, to to some extent, we get to watch this man uh, grow. In his understanding of God, in his and understanding I think of his role. something what you're saying, because as he grows, he becomes Israel. Right, A yeah. champion of God. A champion of God. He, yeah. He becomes yeah. God, let me hang up so I can hear that part. <laughs> there is something there from the beginning, no doubt about it. And, of course, yeah. another thing that, that Jacob pointed out earlier is we have to remember that none of this is unexpected. None of this is uh, mm-hmm. just happenstance. Actually, remember God told even uh, uh, Rachel. He told Rachel earlier that one of your sons is go- your younger is going to be greater than the older, right? Rebecca. Rebecca, I'm so sorry. I'm talking about the wrong person on it. Uh, uh, this. I, well, no, Pat, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to mix up their names, but look at the creation of yeah. Jacob. He tells Rebecca that. Look at that. Okay. Sophie, you and Jacob, how would you like to say, oh, I want that one. Yes, I want that one to be my wife. Uh-huh. And you strike a deal for seven years, and then, boom, you get the, another woman. And the whole time, and even the fact that he was willing to work for his uncle for seven years, and it seemed as nothing to him for the love that he had for Rachel. Uh, yes. What kind of an integrity does this man possess to have that? And where is he getting that from? That's also very right. spiritually that's strong, right. don't right. you think? That's right. There's a moral, there's an integrity to that that's interesting. And what Jacob said earlier to me is, I've always kind of thought that was fishy. How did he not know? Okay, How could no, he possibly it's, it's not, not know that, 
It's that not that it was Leah, not Rachel. If you go yeah. back and look at the verses. Yeah. It's uh, there was a secret agreement. Yeah. The verses there between Leah and. Rachel. Well, that explains it to me. No, uh, it really so, does. Because you want to say, how come Rachel? She loved Jacob. How come she didn't say it? There was a conspiracy of sorts. Now, here is the more interesting question to me. So, here is Jacob. He's been tricked by the girl he loves, Rachel. Uh-huh. And yet, he still goes after Rachel, still worked for as Esther said, for another seven years. The truth is, not many people would want to go after a girl that lied to them. Uh, no, I never knew Rachel was a part of that. Well, so that's new. See how it's being put in there. Uh, you'll find that uh, there, there was a, a conspiracy of sorts, and so mm -hmm. the harm with lies is it destroys trust. Right. And that can happen between just human beings. If you lie to somebody, everybody lies. Always thinks the other person won't find out, but many times they do, and. Uh, and so, obviously, when Rachel uh, uh, was going to have to be up, up front and confronted about it, because Jacob's going to find it out, it's not going to be a secret forever, the next morning he finds out. Right. So, I mean, how do you think that goes down? It's like when people misconstrue or lie about God's laws. Your microphone is uh, kind of cutting out right there just a little bit. Well, my I, I'm going to hang up and concentrate on what you guys are saying. Thank you so much for letting me call in. I appreciate your show. Good to hear from you. Okay. Well, uh, that that does explain better than anything. I know that uh, I, I've always wondered how did he not know and how is that possible? But oh, if, the, well, if then, the girls are in this together. Well, I asked us the question, why didn't Rachel speak up? Mm -hmm. Because she knew. All right. All right. So what's going on? Is that Does that help the microphone, John? Oh, John is uh, hitting. Uh, okay. Thank he's, you, John. He's turned you so up and I turned you down. So turning me down. So. <laughs> uh, All right. So, anyway, but here's what I want to get to because I want to get to this other stuff because this is so important. Because mm -hmm. Jacob, he's coming back. Let's take a look at this. In, th uh -huh. in 32:25, Jacob was left alone and it says a man mm -hmm. wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Doesn't say God. Now, I know the Christian take, and I respect that, that it's the divine. And they say God. The word actually in Hebrew is the divine, but that's okay. And then what it says, he asked him till the break of dawn, 26. When he receive, received that, or I'm sorry, when he perceived that he could not overcome him, he, that would be the angel, the man, or if you like, the divine, or even God, mm -hmm, if that mm -hmm. satisfies you. Uh, hit him in the socket of the hip so that Jacob's hip was dislocated as he wrestled with him. 27. Then he said, let me go, for dawn has broken. Now, I'm going to tell you a very fascinating interpretation. In the 12th century, a very knowledgeable Jewish sage, a rabbi, did, explained this way. And he used, because you know Hebrew is also mathematics. Yes, numeric. Um, so every, me, every letter has a numeric value. Sure. Or, yeah. So he did use that, and he figured this out. And he actually wrote in the 12th century. He said, I, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but this is what the man said. He said, I don't know what's going to happen to Israel in the future, but something very terrible is going to happen. And the hitting in the socket or the thigh 
in the Bible, no other God's name except the God is mentioned in the Bible. All those other names are acronyms or slanderous slogans, something. And it never is disrespectful and it never talks about sex. It always uses euphemisms. When it says he hit him in the hip, in the socket of his hip, that's talking about his procreative areas, his testicles. Now, why would he limp? So when you take the mathematics and you put it with the story, what it's saying, this guy in the 12th century wrote this down. He was a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish sage. And he said, what this means, and I don't know what, he said, I don't know what it means exactly, but it means sometime in the future that something very bad is going to happen to Israel. And why would the story talk about him limping? Because all of Israel isn't going to be there. Six is missing. And in the mathematics, this guy actually wrote, and and he in English would come out in 1948. I'm not making this up. That the nations of the world will get together and bless Jacob, and he will be Israel. Now that was written in the 12th century. Do you know when Israel became a country again? 1948. Exactly. Now, doesn't that give you some goose pimples? And in the word, there's a word there in Hebrew that's messing one letter. The letter that... Six? Is that what you said? It's missing the number six. It's misspelled. So you say, well, missing what? But the letter with six is missing. What, six million? I don't know. But that guy interpreted the story this way. Because see, the reason he's limping is because... And the reason it says procreative areas is because all of his children are not going to be there. You got it? Okay. Yes, yes. That guy actually interprets it this way. But let's just take a look at what this actually says. So in verse, uh, um, and he says, for dawn is broken. Now, in that verse is where we come up with the number for 1948. Mm Mm-hmm. But watch this. And I'm not saying it's correct. I just think it's a really fascinating story. The guy in the 12th century would write that kind of mm-hmm, thing down. Mm-hmm. Anyway, listen to the rest of this verse. Let's just read what's actually there. And he said to him, what is your name? And he replied, Jacob. Now, I want to straighten, something, straighten out something forever and ever and ever right now. He said, the angel or God or whoever you like, the divine, no longer will it, will it be said that your name is Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with the divine and with man and have overcome. Now, does it say that that person, whoever is wrestling with, changed his name? No. It doesn't, does it? Now, let's take a look where the name was actually changed. Look over to chapter 35, uh-huh. 9 through 11. Now, I want to show you something. 935, 9 through 11. Uh-huh. Now, just... I'm there. Okay. Now, look at 9. And God appeared to Jacob. Now, it's distinguishing completely uh-huh. something from this man back when he wrestled. Uh-huh. It's saying in 9, uh, 35, 9. And God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram. And he blessed him. Look at 10. Saying? Then God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name will not always be Jacob. Thus he called his name Israel. Now God shows up in 35, and he changes his name to Israel. The guy he wrestles with does not change his name. He just says it's going to happen. Uh Uh-huh, that's true. 
So we got, so one of the points is it's actually God by name over here in 35. The other guy in 32, it says a man man he wrestled with. Uh And people interpret that, but the guy doesn't change his name. So that that's always an interesting point. Well, interesting too. Look at this. He says, uh, uh, and I don't know if it has if this detail matters or not. In the earlier story, when he wrestles with the men uh, by in his camp, they're all alone. And the night before, he's going to meet Esau. Uh, so you know, uh, he he probably had some serious things on his mind. But he says, uh, what he, he says, uh, I will not let you go see unless you bless me. What is your name he says jacob he says from now on you'll be called israel because you have fought with god and men and have won and he says please tell me your name he says why do you want to know my name in the man and he blessed jacob and he didn't tell him his name but in the later chapter that you just read yeah. god goes on to say and my name is yes god has never been shy in the bible of saying his name but in 32 where he's wrestling with this guys now the jews don't say that he's wrestling with god but okay. angels are part of the divine mm-hmm and so they understand that it's Satan he's wrestling with. And why Satan? Because Satan, oh, hang on, hang on. Here we go. Satan's the guardian angel, the guardian angel of Esau. Uh, hey, we're going to come back in a moment, folks. We'll take your phone calls for our final segment here on The Bible Live. Give us a call, 340-9585. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Joining us, this final segment. Boy, this has flown by tonight uh, into the book of Genesis. We've kind of got caught up here. Well, let, let's finish about this. Jacob and may, Esau. Let's finish this one thought. All right. Now, Jacob, I want to show you something. Look down at 3317. All right, I'm there. And see, it says, but Jacob, after Esau and him talked, they split up. By the way, uh, Esau turns out to be Edom. friendly, and, and they don't. You know, he doesn't kill him or anything, and they seem to get along fairly well. And then Esau goes his way, and Jacob goes a different direction. And so that and we've caught up. So it says Esau turned around and turned back to Seir that day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled to Sukkot. So let's get the p- picture. Okay. They split up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jacob said, okay, I'll meet up with you again in the future. And indeed, they met up in the future. Wow. Herod is a descendant of Edom. He's not Jewish. So the, and Jesus. And is, Esau is the father of the, the Edomite yeah, well, that's people. Right, yeah. so, but let's make sure we got uh-huh. this focus. Okay. We'll lose people. He said, we'll meet again in the future. And they, indeed, they, their descendants do meet. Jesus, descendant of Jacob, meets with. Esau's descendant Herod in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. So they do they do show up together. Now, but look at seventeen. Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house. And for his livestock he made shelters. And therefore he called the name of the place Sukkoth. Sukkoth is a Hebrew word. It means a little barn, uh, a little 
shed, someplace that you keep your animals. And what kind of animals did he have? He had sheep. And where this is is in Bethlehem. Jacob built the manger. In other words, if I say little barn, Jacob built the manger where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and he named the place, and get this, it's the only place in the entire Torah where a place is named after the animals. Huh. Sukkot. And that's in Bethlehem. And that's in Bethlehem. Now, now what you got here, see if you know that and you put it together. And he says, uh, our descend- we, will, we will meet again. We will meet our, again. Our descendants. Well. So see if you catch what's going on here. Uh, Jesus, a descendant of Jacob, meets uh, with a descendant of Edom, which Herod. is Herod. So they do meet again. In Bethlehem, uh, with the uh, when Herod comes to uh, wipe out the two-year-olds. That exactly. Well, and, yeah. And we course, read about it later on in the Gospels, yeah. yeah. So what's fascinating is this is, wow. there's a lot to this. Oh, an awful lot. And I think that's that's one of the things that I, I, I wanted to kind of highlight is, is we get... On now into the book of Genesis. Yes, on the on the surface, this is pretty captivating story, even in and of itself. There's a story to it. I mean, we follow Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob, and there's this, uh, it's fascinating and it's intriguing. It's uh, it's engrossing. You know, you get caught up in the in the drama of it and so on. And yet, like you said, Jacob, it's there's a lot more to it. The just that surface story, even and and as, as I was mentioning earlier today out at Lackland, we were talking about the Bible and how important it is to our growth. And, and one of the ladies said, "Well, it's because it, it, the Bible is it, there's just these different levels. You can keep peeling, you can keep reading the same thing, and every time you read it, it'll have a deeper meaning. And you kind of it's got like the layers of an onion. You keep peeling lower and lower, and it doesn't like the earlier layers are not true." But then there becomes just a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding. And I think what you're tapping into here is that, that something bigger, more far-reaching is going on here besides just uh, uh, this guy and his brother kind of finding it out over the uh, the inheritance of the father and so on. There's a, there's We see here the redemptive plan of God working out and, and, and all of humanity at stake in, in some ways in, in this and story. And there's a holiday in the Jewish world. That is always, always, where they always build a little hut, and they, it's called Sukkot, uh-huh. and they and they uh, eat their meals. Is that there. called the Feast of Tabernacles? In some places in the New Testament, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So but that's why you say when you, a while ago you mentioned the idea of tabernacle, yes. a so tent it's or actually a there. shed. Yeah. And it is one of the major holidays. So And they, in the real Orthodox, they'll actually sleep in it. They'll eat in it. Many people will take their meals in it for seven days. Was that, uh, where did it come from, though, that particular holiday? Wasn't it coming, uh, when they got into the promised land, didn't God command them to have that festival, the Sukkot, so that they could remember what it was like to wander in the wilderness, not have a place? Is that, am I in the ballpark of that? But it's just fascinating that that's where the idea is carried forward, that Mm -hmm. it's a little dwelling place. Yeah. And so it's, fa- it's the only place in the Torah where it's uh, named for an animal. What kind of animals did he have? He had little sheep. And so to carry perpetuate, if we may, the story of Jesus being the Lamb of God. He was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Wow. Bethlehem means Bethlehem means yes. house of bread. House of bread. And that's where he was born in this little shed or manger, if you will, and a little barn. 
and that's where the sheep were. And where else would you expect a little lamb to be born but with other lambs in a little in a lamb shed? Yeah. It, is there any sense at all? It seems like vaguely I, in my mind I remember well, wait, don't something you think about the, the, the Christians the, ought to love this, don't you oh, think? Oh, I, I do, I do. And I believe that all believers are out there, uh, other Christians are out there thinking, wow, that's that's fascinating. It's another one of those little layers of the onion. Coming. Now, is is there any idea that maybe the very cave or the very uh, shed, the very uh, stable in which Jesus was born might have been actually constructed through the year this by Jacob? Was that is that part of what you're saying or is it we just call them generalities now? But no, you're tr- you're struggling. That would be to more say, than what we know. Well, did it, they keep it going? Did they keep building it there? So it'd be there. You you got to stop. You kind of got to stop that, and you got to think that he's doing prophecy. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think it was Jesus that was born there, that's wonderful, and the Christians ought to love that. If not, if you think that's where uh, a um, yeah uh, uh, um, uh, a picture again, like you a, say, a picture of the Messiah. Uh-huh. So we know where it's supposed to be, and we know where he's going to be born. That's amazing. Well. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, there's somebody's calling. Uh, we got another call. Yeah, All right. were, Let's calling. get somebody on the air here with us in just a moment. Well, they hung up, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, then uh, let's go on. We we talk about a- Abraham, then Isaac, his son. Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac. Isaac. Uh, oh, uh, there's a picture I love about Isaac. Let's go back up to Jacob and Esau's father, Isaac and Rachel. Uh, in that, remember, uh, Isaac doesn't have a wife. And interestingly, Abraham sends his servant, Eleazar, who is not Jewish, and but he sends... He is a convert, however. Oh, he's a, oh yeah, a convert, but I, I'm talking about, uh, uh, yeah, ethnically Jewish. But he, he, he follows and worships he's the true living God. He's very honest. Yeah, yeah. That's well, a joke. Yeah, I said he's, he's got ethics. He's very honest. That's right. Very honest man. And, and he sends Eleazar up to... Back to Lebanon, uh, back to Laban, Laban, his uh, the uncle uh, that Jacob had left, sends him back up there to find a, a wife for uh, Isaac, and, and and that's a very beautiful story. This faithful old servant, who in fact would have benefited greatly if if uh, if uh, Jacob did not have descendants, then the the. Um, Inheritance would have gone to Eleazar. True? I mean, or, or if Isaac. Uh, what am I thinking? I don't well, know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. Eleazar would have been. Eleazar had something to benefit if Isaac uh, didn't marry or something like that. Well, he would have been the next heir, probably, yeah. of Abraham. There you go. Oh, that's what I'm trying to get to. But, but in spite of that, Eleazar goes and he works on and behalf what did he, of the what son. What did Eleazar bring with him? Take with him, or to to up yeah, north to, La- to Laban's house. What did he take? He, he took some wealth and treasure to uh, to pay off a bride. I guess I don't know. No, I want to show you something. Okay, right? show me. Um, he chapter twenty four. And he brought a bunch of gold and gifts with him, right? Uh huh. So Laban and his family are ex- always understanding when Abraham's messenger comes. The guy brings a lot of nice things with him. Yes, and when. Uh, he said, uh, and he took it. So when this is chapter twenty-four of Genesis, yeah, chapter twenty-four. Okay, now when he brings it, he says, and then later, Jacob, Israel shows up. 
they expected this messenger Jacob or Israel to also have a lot of nice things to give as gifts. You see? Uh-huh. But he didn't. He had nothing to give except his service. And uh, I see that was 24, did you say? Yes. That's when Eleazar first goes and he finds a wife for Isaac. He finds Rebekah. And he prays, oh, Lord, help the first, if she comes out and offers drink to my camels right. and so on. And and so he knew to look for it. He was a very man of high integrity and ethics. Of course, let us remember that Abraham rescued him out of slavery. Okay. And so he paid his fee, and he gave him his freedom, but he stayed with him. And then he brought all these gifts, and he gave everybody gifts. And here is the distinction between, you might say, the Jewish culture and the Arab culture. The Arabs uh, had the tradition that you'd give all the money and the gifts to the uh, father. Jews don't do that. The Bible doesn't even say that. Look, if you will, at chapter 24, um, verse, uh, let's see, verse uh, 57. All right, I'm there. Um, go ahead, read it. See what it says. Verse 57 says, uh, I'm going to start at 56, but he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. This is Eleazar talking. Uh, now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. Now look at how the Jewish culture is different. Even way back then, the gift, and it says when he brings this gift, he gives these gold rings to uh to actually to uh, Rebecca. To Rebecca, yes. He doesn't give it to the father. He gives it to the lady, the girl that's going to be married. So he gives the gift. The Arab culture was they gave it to the father. He got all the money. But to her, and then look at the difference. She isn't sold as a piece of property. Whenever I hear that, it always troubles me because it doesn't say that. Uh -huh. And it, it never meant that. It says that... Um, Let's call her and let her make the decision. She could have said no. Uh -huh. So, you see, when people are always saying, oh, well, they bought and sold women. Women had no rights wow. and all that kind of thing. It's exactly opposite because people get the Arab culture and the Jewish culture mixed up. The Jews never had the rule that you could buy and sell your kids. You well, this, uh, this is actually a very strong implication for Christians as well because we see Eleazar, this faithful servant, as a picture of the the person and the role of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The Holy, the Spirit is sent out to find a bride for the Son. So the Holy Spirit is come in, in the New Testament we understand the Holy Spirit is here to seek out and search and find a bride the bride of Christ, the people of God, the 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 uh, the redeemer, the um the bride of, the, of of Christ, the Son. And so the Holy the Eleazar here is a picture of the Holy Spirit who goes out to find. And it's interesting what you just said, though, is that he's there to call and woo, uh, to bring a uh, uh, offering gifts, <laughs> blessing. And he, and he it, gives the gifts to Rebecca, not her daddy. Yeah, to the to to the bride. Right. And, and that's you know most of us come to Christ because of the offer of eternal life, of purpose and meaning and significance and forgiveness and gifts of blessings that God offers to us uh, through the gospel message. And the Holy Spirit woos us and calls us. Uh, to come and be a part of the people of God, and, and in that sense, the part of the, the bride of Christ. So the, we see Eleazar as a as a picture of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, calling out a people, and that Jesus said he would be here. He would call. He would 
bring called uh, and we see in John chapter three there where the Holy Spirit moves and calls people to to uh, come to the Savior. And like you just said, though, it is there's still a choice on the part of the bride. Yeah. It, it, he made the offer. The Holy Spirit was there, made the offer, beckoning, uh, wooing uh, this woman to come and be the bride of of uh, Isaac. But. In the end, too, she had a voice. She she made a decision. She could have to go. said no. In fact, do you know how the Jews and the law they adopt from this? Hmm. The law is that no Jewish man can make his wife, even if they're married, move more than five miles from where she wants to be unless she consents. Huh. So the wife gets to make the calls. And so even here, way back in Genesis... She can say yes or no. It's fascinating. It really is. There's, there's, like I said, folks, there's these layers of the onion. You can peel them back, and, and we can see pictures here of, of God's redemptive plan. In each and every life, whether it's Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, and on now, we move on now to talking about the children of Jacob, his 12 sons, uh, his 10 sons, and they go into Egypt, how God saves them from a famine, and they go into Egypt first as honored guests. And then later on, a uh, uh, Pharaoh is, raises up to power that did not know Joseph. And we get into that whole story of, of how God uses this young boy, exactly. Joseph. And so when you can see why, from Laban's point of view, last time they saw a messenger from Abraham, this guy came bearing gifts. So he's expecting uh, right. Jacob to come bearing gifts. In fact, in verse uh, <clears throat> say 53, the servant brought out objects of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca and delicious fruits he gave to the brothers and the mothers. But she got the silver and gold. And he said, okay, I'm, she's good. I've got her picked. She must be the one meant for uh, the young man Jacob. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Isaac. And they said, well, let's call her and see what she says. And so she got to make the decision, uh -huh. and she got the gifts. The daddy didn't get the gifts. Let me ask you this. Look at chapter 25, Jacob. It says the death of Abraham, and it describes here the death. Uh, Abraham married another wife after Sarah had died, her, oh. whose name was Keturah, yeah. right. which we understand was... Uh, um, that's, the, that's Hagar. Hagar, the, the handmaid of Sarah. Hagar, earlier. the word ha, H-A, uh -huh. is the word the in Hebrew. Gar, or gear, is stranger. Uh -huh. In other words, the, she was called the stranger. Why is she a stranger? Because she's Egyptian. Uh -huh. She's not Jewish. But when she does her acts of conversion, and she becomes part of the Jews, she gets a new name, a Jewish name. Uh -huh. And actually, and we don't have Keturah. To Keturah. And Keturah comes from a Hebrew word that means her deeds are like beautiful incense to God. So she became very kind. Now, the, what I just told you is not just extrapolation. Actually, in the, the Chronicles, it actually says that. Okay. So we go. So we have the idea that Keturah is actually Hagar, but it's Hagar, and I don't want to get too sidetracked. But Hagar was the stranger until stranger to who? To the Jews? No, stranger to God. To God. Yes. And then when she and remember, she gets sent out into the wilderness. Yes, the, the mother of uh, Ishmael. Uh -huh. She gets sent out to the wilderness, right? Yes. And he put, Abraham puts a jug on her shoulder. Remember that? Uh-huh. And the jug was measured 
So when they ran out of water, they'd be wherever they're going to go. Why didn't he give her a donkey and a lot of food? Because she was supposed to go have her rendezvous with God. And then when and so when the water and ran out, did, they weren't there. She put Ishmael. This is before she's still Hagar, the stranger to God. Uh-huh. And she put her little boy, Ishmael, under one bush. Uh-huh. She goes over to the other bush. For him to die and so not to hear his cries. I guess. And that sounds very sympathetic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But God shows up and God says, Hagar, what troubles you? Well, anybody say, well, my boy's over there dying and it hurt me too bad to listen to him. Well, the point is, if your child's dying, you don't worry about yourself. You hold your hand of your child uh-huh. and you console them if they're going to die. But she, as an Egyptian would have, she was a stranger to God. So she went to work far away. It says a bow shot away, which is, I don't know, 40, 50 yards maybe. Because she didn't want to hear it because the boy's going to die, but she didn't want to suffer the pain. And God shows up and says, hey, God, I hear the boy crying, but what troubles you? And she says, oh, I don't want to hear that. And, he said, and basically, she learns at that point the value of family and children and the God's, uh, the God's meaning from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then she goes back, and then, of course, some water or well appears to get the drink. The, the well is always symbolic of Torah. Uh-huh. And then after that, when uh, Sarah dies, I'm sorry, when Rebecca dies, no, it was Sarah. When Sarah dies, he takes another wife. But now she has learned that she's no longer a stranger to God. She learned that children and family matter. Now her name is Keturah. And like I say, it's a word that means her deeds are like sweet incense. All right. Now, beautiful, all of that beautiful and great uh, uh, understanding around the picture. But look at chapter 25. It says the death of Abraham. Yes. And it's, uh, you said Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. And so before you die, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, blah, blah, blah. Well, Abraham lived for 175 years and he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre. Now, is this, remember you said that Jacob and Esau had their little deal with the porridge and so on at the death of Abraham. Mm -hmm. So this is the incident around which in the other passage, Jacob and Esau are observing the death of Abraham. Isn't that the the funeral that they're supposedly yes, marking? Yes, uh, and then after this will come where Jacob is actually making uh, some lentils. Okay. But I want to point out one thing before we go on. I look see. look at 25-12. Well, see, it, it, all I'm trying to say is that this has the death of Abraham in chapter 25. Jacob and Esau are born later on in that chapter, and the idea of the conflict, uh, uh, the, the idea of the sale of the birthright is not till chapter 27 mm-hmm. and you know and so we don't put together necessarily the sale of the birthright the porridge the lentils with the death of abraham because it yeah. seems like the death of abraham happened two See, chapters it earlier it seems that way but you know chapters and verses were added right. much later so these stories i'll give you an example we use like in genesis chapter one chapter two the portion that's supposed to be read in the in your bible uh-huh. starting at genesis 1 1 goes to Genesis 6-9. That's 
what we would call a chapter. It's called a portion or a parsha uh-huh. in uh-huh. Hebrew. So that's, but we do one through five. So if I read one and two and I think I read something, I have not <laughs> read the portion that's meant to go together. All together. So yeah. when you're reading this all together, see, the Hebrew portions have names. Uh-huh. So, but the chapters and verses make it handy because. Yeah, for reference. Yeah. yeah, for reference. So, but look what it says. It says in 25:12, these are the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. Look uh-huh. what is she's called, Hagar. Uh huh. And that's uh-huh. in 25:12. 12. 12. Right. Yes. Now flip backwards in 25:1. Abraham married another wife whose name was Keturah. That's she right. gave birth to So Zimran they're making Joseph. sure that you understand that Keturah was Hagar. And when you get the chronicles, you'll actually find it explained. I see. Isn't that fascinating? It really is fascinating and it's a level of understanding that uh that we need to grasp and see and, and of course each of us has to read our Bible and, well, do and our look, research look at to find out. Eleazar. He but, took Eleazar out of slavery. Uh-huh. He took uh Hagar out of a false slavery to a false god. And so all these people are not Jewish are all involved. Uh-huh. It's not just for the Jews in other words. Yeah, we're not talking about eth- we're not talking about uh Ethnicity. We're talking about uh, belief, or uh, they're brought in as part of the people well, of God. Judaism they, is actually a religion. Yes. So, you may be from an Indian tribe, Soapy. Yes. But you are a Christian. Yeah. Right? I am a Jew. You okay? You're a Jew. <laughs> I've been so. brought in, made a part. Uh, well, fascinating it is. All, all of this, and that's, you know, you could almost never get to the bottom. All these stories are so wonderful. Uh, whether they they're about the Sukkoth and the and the uh, in Bethlehem that leads to the Savior meeting Herod centuries later, or if it's about uh, Eleazar being a picture of the person and work of the Holy Spirit calling out of people, finding a bride for the Son, uh, that role that we see in the Book of Genesis, all of these stories have that kind of uh, story behind them. They have that sort of depth. They have that sort of meaning because. The redemptive plan is now in place. God is going to use the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the people of Israel, their descendants. He's going to use them as a people group, uh, a, a people of faith. Uh, and the principle of faith is at work here, as we see in, in Abraham. Uh, he trusts God. He obeys God. And, and so we see that principle of faith. He's going to use his, an, his descendants now as an instrument of revelation to the world. Okay. And and he's going to bring the Redeemer, the Savior, through that same lineage. Now you understand why I always like to end with the phrase, because what Hagar learned? Yes. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Amen. Goes there. Happy Thanksgiving this week, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday night here on The Bible Life. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast.
You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.